Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I'm sitting down with King of the Hill storyboard artist Whitney Martin. In this episode we chat with those early days on King of the Hill was like for Whitney, his favorite episodes, and some of his fondest memories of working on the series. Whitney was a really great guy to chat with. His recollection of his time working at Foam Roman and the unbelievable time crunch they were all under will for sure paint a picture of what it was like growing up in the industry on King of the Hill. If you guys haven't yet, click on the Patreon link below to check out our early and ad-free content. You can vote on our upcoming retrospectives, and depending on the tier you choose, you can get a special shout-out by me on our audio and video platforms. There's a lot more great stuff coming over on our Patreon channel, so make sure you sign up if you're interested. Now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Whitney. Whitney, how are you, sir? Hey, good. How are you? Ah, fantastic, man. I've been really looking forward to this one. Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing a more, not a more, we're doing more of King of the Hill Deep Dives, my favorite adult animated series of all time. Like I told Whitney and everybody else, I've seen the series so many times. Whitney here had worked on this one. Uh, We got some great episodes we're going to talk about later. But how I like to open these ones up, because I've always been fascinated. Everybody remembers their first day of anything. First day of high school, first day of their first job, you know, first day with whoever they decide to marry and anything like that, you know, so what was the first day like with you? I got to imagine you started at Film Roman. Uh, is that where you got your start? That's right. Yeah. Film Roman. Thanks for having me, by the way. It's an honor oh, to be absolutely. on the program. Uh, yeah. Film Roman. First day I, I had to do a uh, pencil, uh, a test, uh, mm-hmm. a, a storyboard test. So uh, I had come from Disney feature animation uh, studying story there and then I had this opportunity to take the test over at King of the Hill and I went in and they said if, if we agree with your uh, your test and the results then we'll put you on as a revisionist mm-hmm. so I went in I did the test they liked it and I was off and running do you remember what your pencil test was oh man we're talking now 25 years ago or yeah. so so uh, <laughs> yeah this this was 99 so i jumped in around season four right at the beginning of season four and um the pencil test was just some sort of you know a couple pages of script and just to try to see how i was uh, going to lay it out of course everything was analog it was all xerox machines pencils and paper uh scotch tape and mm-hmm. I, they just had me uh, sit in a little area and, and do it and evidently it worked out and then they just started to cycle me in on uh, various episodes to, you know, just start doing revisions. And once they felt that I was up to snuff on revisions, which probably took about five, four, maybe four months, if I had to mm-hmm. guess, they would then uh, roll me into full episodes, which so they did. Come- and then I finally got, got, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're perfectly fine, but go ahead and finish up. No, I was going to say, then my first episode, um, was uh with chuck austin mm-hmm. and uh that was episode six of season four and um i can't remember what it was called though i had written written it down i'll have to look that one up to get the name of which show that was because i went to my imdb to mm-hmm. to uh look back at what which ones we were on but then i you know came up with the three that uh that i thought were some of the most memorable ones but i'm jumping oh. the gun Boy, oh boy, were they memorable. And ladies and gentlemen, like I said, uh, we're going to build a little bit of suspense and we'll get to those ones shortly. Um, 
so I've always been I've always been really fascinated with uh, people that jump onto a show that's already established because I usually ask a question like, "Hey man, when did you guys know this show was something?" Uh, I got to imagine in four seasons, like I was hooked on this show after the first episode, that pilot episode. I put that up there with I put it up there with the regular show pilot. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I, I put it up there with the Dexter's Lab pilots, the Powerpuff Girl, anything that I grew up with and that I hold so close and near and dear to my heart. I put it up there as far as a Mount Rushmore esque pilot. It was fun. It was funny. Uh, like it felt like if this wasn't animated, that this could actually be real. Like I've, at that point in time, I'm 10, 11 years old, whenever it was, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I'd never been to Texas before, but I have to imagine I'm like, man, that, that, that's what Texas is like, man. You know? So yeah. I always had that thought of like, this just seems real. This seems down home. This seems like, like I could be a part of this world if it, like I said, if it was real. Um, but mm -hmm. with you coming in four seasons into this, uh, did you have any, did you watch this show really before, or was this for your first introduction when you started doing this pencil test? Well, I had been a fan of Mike Judge because uh, I had always loved Beavis and Butthead. So when there was some rumblings about uh, Mike Judge is going to do King of the Hill, mm -hmm. there had been some things in the, in the papers and people were looking at different images that uh, were coming up for what the first show was going to look like. And it was definitely sort of a derivative of the Beavis and Butthead world. Um. So, yeah, I had seen a few of them. And I, like I said, I was at uh, Disney Feature Animation at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I loved Beavis and Butthead. So the idea of being able to get into that world. And plus, I'm from Texas originally. Like, I, my family goes back into Texas, like four generations on my dad's side. So I was in, uh, I grew up in Houston. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of the sort of humor and stuff definitely sort of brung home with uh, yeah. my upbringing. So, um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was following it and then it was super cool to, uh, get the opportunity to, you know, take that test when I did and jump right in. And, you know, like many shows that I've been on since that time, I'll, I'll have some familiarity with them. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily always like a super fan that was, yeah. was like hardcore into it. Uh, um, I just kind of get in and I start to figure it out and, uh, you know, crank. Yeah, man, it's a job at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's this guy that I've had on and he's like, he's, he's a guy that I always go to, like whenever I need to ask a question about animation, cause I'm still, I don't want to say I'm ignorant in a bad way, but I mean, I don't think ignorant can, I think ignorant can be used both positive and negatively. Um, you know, when it comes to the world of animation, I really still feel like I'm learning every day, you know, I'm learning new words, I'm learning new methods, new topics, you know, new techniques, you know, so I'm, I'm ever evolving in my knowledge for animation. So there's this guy I go to whenever I just feel like, man, this doesn't seem right. This just seems like it's fishy. I go to this guy named Robert Alvarez, you know, in July, he'll have worked 55 years in animation um yeah. and he's he, he's retiring and he's mm -hmm. one of those guys that has no filter which i absolutely love i love when somebody cuts the fat and gets straight to the bullshit he cuts all the all the the maneuvering around and he just tells me as it is it's either black or white you know there's no there's gray sometimes but he's like there's black or white and he's like this is really what you need to be looking for so he's that guy going like look for him um and he told me he's like you know, just because you work on a show doesn't mean you like it. He was like, at the end of the day, I need to make money. And he was like, mm -hmm. you have no idea. And this is his words. How many, 
how many shows, piece of shit shows I've worked on or piece of shit productions that I've worked on that I did yeah. not give a shit. I was just cashing a check because I've got kids. I got to feed them, you know? Oh, so yeah. that was, I always just thought it was weird. He was like, and I'm going to tell you something else. If he's like, if you only worked on shows you liked, he was like, you'd go broke really quickly because <laughs> you right. go six months. He's like, you'll work on a production for six months and then you'll be off for six months because that's just how the work goes. You yeah. know? So I always thought it was fascinating. I'm like, fuck dude, that makes so much sense. And then, Mm-hmm. I started implementing that into my everyday life. And I was, I've worked in a lot of restaurants that absolutely suck. You know, yeah. the people have kept me around. Sometimes the money has kept me around, you know, good, bad, mm-hmm. or indifferent, you know? So it's always fascinating to hear you guys say, yeah, man, it's like, I'm clocking in, I'm clocking out and give 110% while I'm there, but this isn't me. This my whole life doesn't revolve around this one, you know, mm-hmm. but with something like King of the Hill, I have to imagine this one possibly was different. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've heard so many folks say like this, the crew was so tight knit, like the crew was what kept people coming back because it was one of those times where everybody felt like a family. Everybody was going out to lunch or doing events when they weren't in, you know, when when they weren't working. Um, Mm -hmm. Did that feel like that to you once you started to become a part of this team and this family? Did it feel like a family? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I look back on those days and and showing up at that studio out there and uh, Simpsons was downstairs and we were upstairs mm-hmm. and and you get tight with um, the people on our storyboard team. Then they had the layout floor that had a whole bunch of guys out there um, and they would all hang out together. And we were on a, a separate sort of a wing of the office off this hallway where the board teams were. Mm-hmm. And then we would get our own room where the layout guys were all on a big sort of open floor with um, cubicles, you know, so they would mingle and talk. And then when, when we would have our our big meetings with Clay Hall, um, we would all go out to the big main sort of office center and have these meetings. Uh, and a lot of the times the uh, schedule was such that we were in that office with the door shut, cranking away, just trying yeah. to scramble to make the deadlines. And mm-hmm. uh, so I got pretty tight with Bill Ryling, who was my buddy um, yeah. in my office. And he's a great guy. And and we uh, spent many hours in there just cranking towards these, uh, these crazy deadlines and post-it notes flying and tape flying and Xerox machine stressing out and we had little boom boxes and uh and then we would go out into the main area and and hang out with people uh occasionally but um mostly it was just it seemed like a you know getting down to the grind with uh with the board work from my experience you know sure people were cool and I enjoyed it and um but I did hear that there was a, a nice family kind of thing mm-hmm. going on with the layout guys and girls in particular because they mm-hmm. were um in this big sort of open area you know and I became friends with some of them and and I really enjoyed my time there Well that's cool man it's always interesting and it's always fun to hear that you know you guys had fun working on something because you know I've I've <clears> always <throat> thought and I'll go down saying this for almost anything when you find something that you love, that's enjoyable, that you can just see that the people that worked on it, whether it's like what we, what I do for a living, I cook, you can tell when a kitchen sending out shit and they hate fucking the plate, man. When you, when you see somebody that just doesn't want to be there, it, it sounds douchey and corny, but you can taste it in the food. I don't want to be one of those 
hokey sentimental dudes but when somebody just doesn't care you can taste that and then i oh, think yeah. you can see that in anything you can see it in movies you can see it in animation when somebody just doesn't give a shit you see that reflected on the tv screen or on the movie screen and yeah. every time i tuned in to watch king of the hill it felt like everybody gave a shit so like i mm -hmm. said i've always appreciated how hard you guys have worked and and it wasn't until you know talking to bill last week that you know he was like the the, the deadlines were crazy he was like yeah. they were hectic it just seemed like you know a week for this a week for that and then you're on to something next one he's like by the time he's like uh he, i want to paraphrase he was like i felt like when i was about to go he was like a script would slide under the door and he was like <laughs> i was like he's like i couldn't do that you know so i was like shit man that's yeah. crazy um, yeah and know. it hasn't changed a whole lot really since those days it's kind of the same now you know so like i'm on the simpsons now and uh it's an awesome show and I'm, I'm going into my second season with them and uh, yeah, it's just, it's a fierce uh, kind of a schedule and you have to mm -hmm. get a lot done and there's so many layers and so many different sort of things you have to think about as you are boarding to try to, uh, you know, meet all these different needs and um, it's challenging. It's exciting. It's exhausting. Uh, and you just got to try to find the best way to, uh, you know, figure out how you're going to manage to do it all. And I'm just grateful that I managed in, uh, I know we weren't going to talk about origin stories, but I've, I've been back in the game only five years now. I took a break mm -hmm. and I left and I went and played firefighter for a while. Cause I wanted to be a firefighter. <laughs> this was after Dude. King of the Hill. So I went and did that. And then while I was doing playing firefighter, all of the uh, technology was evolving in such a way that, um, it was leaving those analog skills. And then when I finally came back around, you know, circle back around and said, Hey, I think I want to get back into animation. I realized that I had to learn all of this uh, technological stuff because I was trying, I was fooling myself thinking, Oh, I can maybe get back in and, you know, just with my current skill set. And no, uh, with everything that had sort of combined and converged um, I realized that to, uh, to be able to understand the pipeline, the way it is now, I'd have to go back to school, which I did. Mm -hmm. I went back to graduate school at NC state in North Carolina, where I was living at the time. And, um, with the intention of coming back to LA and getting back into the business. So I have this, uh, I have this weird sort of, uh, LA old school back in the day experience that I had, you know, and then mm -hmm. I left it and I went and raised a family in New Mexico and I went out to North Carolina and I did firefighter. And then I came back five years in 2018 and boy, was it a different, you know, kind of a, a lot oh, yeah. of similar stuff, but very different too, at the same time. But one thing that's remained consistent is the, um, the deadlines, the deadlines <laughs> yeah. and intensity of it all. So I'm just glad that I've managed in the five years to stay uh, steadily employed with, you know, minimal kind of um, uh, hiatuses, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, cause I know right now things are tough with uh, the writer strike and um, situations in studios in general are sort of changing and streaming, working from home, COVID sort of all these different factors oh, yeah. that have come into play that are uh, impacting this industry. So, um, and I know a lot of people are looking for work right now. I mean, Disney just laid off, uh, what, 8,000 people? 7,200 people. Like it was like 72, 7,500 yeah, people. I mean, and they're talking huge. about another 5,500 too. That's huge. Yeah. So I, I have friends. I know people that are looking. Uh, you know, I use LinkedIn all the time. LinkedIn is, is like a, has been a huge um, 
game changer for me in this industry because we use it a lot. You know, my wife is a nurse and works in the medical field. She doesn't use LinkedIn. It's not like really for every field, but I have found that it certainly is um, one that we use a lot in, in this business, you know, yeah, and I can connect with old people and, and, uh, and stay in touch and sort of keep abreast of what's going on, you know? Going back to, I've always wanted to be a firefighter ever since I was really little. Oh, I was the, right? I, yeah. So my first command, uh, and then we'll get right back to King of the Hill, but my first command <laughs> on my first ship I went to, um, I was the first supply guy that was able to try out for the fire team on my first ship. Oh yeah. So yet I was, I was one of the quickest people. I was the quickest person in supply that got dressed out. So I could, you had to, I can't oh, remember sure. what Don, it was. Donning and doffing the, yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the fire gear. PPE. Yeah. The fire gear. So I would, I want to say it was either 27 seconds or it yeah. was 24. It was something very, very quickly. And they go like, that was really quick, especially for a supply guy. And I was like, yeah. I was trying to change my rate. I wanted to be a firefighter because there's this picture of me that I've got somewhere in my house. It's me and my uh, my grandpa, Jim's. Uh, he was a volunteer firefighter in Panama, uh, Panama City up in the Panhandle in Florida. Oh, so awesome. he he had he had all of the uh, the rubbers. Right. So he had the helmet. Yeah. He had the suspender. So there's a picture with me and my grandpa Jim's boots. You know, the pants are so big because I'm like sure. four years old. You know, I'm standing in them. I still I've got one goal left that I, I know I'm going to achieve. I know I can achieve this one because I, I live, you know, there's firefighters all over the place, you know, but I, I've <laughs> always wanted to ride on a fire truck that, you know, wasn't going to my house because my house was burning down. I want to yeah. ride on a fire truck so bad. Um, but that's my goal. ride along. Oh man, I hope so. And because... plus, if you have you have the little ones now, you can get you can get them. Uh, you know. Oh, I'm using own... them. Yeah, I'm using them as yeah. as chips and ploys. I was like, look at my little kids. They want to see a fire truck, and I'm just mushing my kids out of the way so I can get on the fire truck. Yeah, there's just something very cool. I love. I don't know shit about cars, but there's something so cool about fire trucks. All the switches, all the levers, all the oh, lights. And I'm so fascinated. Big red fire truck. You know. I mean. Yeah. So yeah, I went back and. But you know what? It's never too late, man. Like I, uh, I was telling you a little bit earlier about some of the backstory, but mm. I went in at age forty into the fire academy. So yeah, Mexico is one of those states where they don't have the age cutoff. Like, like California, I think is thirty-two, and Texas, I think is thirty-two. Uh, but New I think we're the same. I think we're the like, same as the military. Is thirty-two. The, yeah, yeah, and they're like, if you can hang with the academy, welcome aboard, you know. So yeah. it was me, and one other dude that was over forty, and everyone else was nineteen. And uh, I have no regrets. It was awesome. It's part of my uh, story, and um, you know, I wouldn't have changed a thing. And it just was interesting coming back to animation because people were like, "Well, man, you, you know, they're looking at your resume, and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you've been out of the game for a while. You know, what were you doing?'" And I was like, "Well, uh, I was a firefighter," <laughs> and they're like. That doesn't really have anything to do with animation, you know, but um, Got perspective. I just it's, a, it's part of my story. It's just something that I wanted to do and that I did, and uh, I'm glad for it. And it, it makes it, it adds to the storytelling abilities that I have. And uh, I bring it into my work whenever I can, being on those teams, having that brotherhood, living at the station, you know, mm -hmm. things that we see. And it, it, it becomes part of the fabric of your of your background. So. Uh, I know you would have done it. Absolutely, man. I know you would have done it. We, and we have we have that law. It's the same or not law or guideline, whatever. It is. It's 32. Same thing in Florida. Like same thing for military service. I think it's 32. You can't 
Uh, you can't re-enlist or you can't enlist past 32, and I'll be 34 in August. Same thing with the fire part, uh, fire department here in Florida. I believe, I believe it's 32 is the cutoff. Um, yeah. So, uh, shit, where was I going with this one? But uh, there was, you know, getting it back to the king of the hill. Um, yeah. Did you get a chance? I, I know it's. I tend to stay away from these questions, but I'd be remiss not to ask. And I know yeah. the fire department was after King of the Hill, but did you get the chance to work on the episode where they all joined the volunteer firefighter team and no, then they burnt no, down the I fire? Okay. Do that I was about to say, man, that's that's. I wonder if that's where that bug started. <laughs> that fire bug started. So. Yeah. No, my. Uh, I, I don't want to jump the gun. And when you get to what my whatever my favorite episode was, I'll tell you which one it was. But. Um... But yeah, man, you know that the going back to the sensibilities of uh, Mike, Mike Judge, mm-hmm. and that, the humor from Beavis and Butthead uh, when I was an undergraduate student and at uh, Academy of Art up in San Francisco studying illustration, they used to do the Spike and Mike uh, animation festival mm-hmm. or the Second Twisted animation festival, and so my wife and I were living up there in the Bay Area, and we would go, you know, uh, go to these uh, uh, screenings. And that was like when Frog Baseball first came out Um, and it it was so great. And, you know, I'm from the area where where I era where I came up with MTV and I used to just love that stuff. And it just cracked me up and uh, it was stupid, but there was something more to it. You know, there Mm -hmm. was uh, was some sophistication going on, some of the absurdity and uh, it just really resonated with me. And, you know, I, I was telling you earlier, I got to come full circle. And last year I was at Titmouse Studio mm-hmm. working on the Beavis and Butthead movie and then the first and second season of uh, Beavis and Butthead. And like you were saying uh, prior to that, when you get those shows that hit that sweet spot, you know, like always I, I always have a lot of gratitude, as I was telling you, just to be able to continue to stay employed and working at these different studios, getting these experiences, being with all these great people. But yeah, you hit that sweet spot once in a while, like King of the Hill was, or when I got on Beeps and Butthead and you're like, oh yeah, like you're reading the scripts and you're cracking up. And at that time, my uh, son who was at home during the pandemic was um, sit. we were sharing an office and I would, mm-hmm. uh, I would, you know, tell him about some crazy thing that I was working on with Beeps and Butthead and we'd both be cracking up together. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a cool, because he's gone now. He's a firefighter, by the way. Uh, he's gone and we're empty nesters now but um so i really uh cherish those times when you know i was hanging with my boy and we were um able to you know crack up over beavis and butthead yeah well i've got a uh i've got a 13 year old that's hitting that stage where i'm like fuck i know i was yeah. like this at 13 I, you you can have him <laughs> if you want I, there's days where i'm like dude i can't wait till you're 18 and then there's other days where he'll come up and he'll give me a yeah. hug you know, and he'll, oh, yeah. he'll fucking say, I love you, man. Or I, he's like, thank you for what you do. And I'm like, man, you're all right today. Look at that. And I was like, you do have a heart. <laughs> well, North, we moved to North Carolina to Chapel Hill to raise our boys because we were moving around mm-hmm. at the time. And and we did a stint out there to try to get them into good public schools. And uh, that was primarily why we were out in uh, uh, Chapel Hill at that time. Yeah. And, and again, we don't have any regrets. It was a great place to ha- have those boys at that age um, in that environment, you know. What were some of these characters? Like, obviously, we know these characters. We love these characters. Um, you know, we like each one for different reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. What were some of those characters that you absolutely loved to draw, work, and write stories for? What were those characters that felt like a comfortable pair of shoes? You could just slip right into them. And subsequently, what was the characters that you probably had a hard time slipping into? 
Dealer's choice. You get to pick which one you want to talk about first. Sure. Well, I got to say, I gravitated towards Hank and Dale probably more than mm-hmm. uh, some of the others. Bill, I like to draw a lot, too. I thought Bobby was hard to draw because of his design, but he was mm-hmm. fun, you know. But, yeah, probably probably uh, Hank and, and, uh, and Dale were two of my favorites to act stuff out with them together, you know. And we would have these uh, old school audio tapes that we would listen to the dialogue on and just play mm-hmm. it over and over and over again and uh yeah they just start to uh, work their way into your head and you know i remember um there was a line in uh uh the tanking it to the streets where all three of them are at the, the I, I storyboarded the section where uh bill it passes out inside of the tank and thanks <laughs> the block captain yeah. and he comes out and he says uh i'm gonna go investigate or whatever and he gets up yeah. on there and he knocks on it and, kill they block captain. Up and they're like oh my god it stinks you know and they see bill in there i, I boarded that whole act out mm-hmm. and um you know and then later dale pops up from uh, underneath a, a sewer cover you know and then he mm-hmm. climbs up on the tank and then they all start arguing with one another about who's going to drive the tank now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hank right away says, well, I've been driving, uh, you know, bobtail trucks for blah, 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 you know. And then, uh, and then Dale had this hilarious line that I saw was quoted when I was doing some of the research about Putin, you know. Yeah. And then I, I remember like, damn, we were talking about Putin back in. <laughs> like he's been the president, you know, we've been talking about him this long. 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he goes in a, and then Dale actually says something in Russian because he sits down inside of the tank. And I remember we had mm-hmm. to like work out how we're gonna make it look inside of the tank while they're all in there, you know. And so we were researching this. Of course, is uh, we we didn't have uh, Google and stuff yet then, so we were I don't remember how we were getting our pictures, magazines and pictures, feverishly yeah, combing through magazines or finding videotapes or something, <laughs> and. Uh, and Dale says, uh, well, wouldn't it be great? Or uh, he says, yeah, I've studied the manual in Russian and Putin. And then he goes, Putin. And then we had to draw the Putin part. And I remember that was important to get that right. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, I was working with Jeff Myers, um, who was a story supervisor, I believe, on that one. And yeah, Monty Young was the director. And... But that was just it was it was so funny because then you know later they run over a con's uh bitch and SUV car. at some point yeah. he goes, Oh my cherry SUV <laughs> <laughs> and they they run over it. And then one of the most hilarious parts for that whole episode was when they go to the little kitty park and Bill yes. puke in the sandbox. <laughs> and he goes and Bill's all bummed out. Oh, I was just a big old pant load or whatever. And, you know, the army fooled me. And then Hank goes, uh, he said, I tried to look up the quote and I couldn't find it. But he says something like, I know you're disappointed in yourself, Bill. We all are. <laughs> or he, oh, you're, I know you're disappointed with how you turned out, Bill. We all were or something like that. And yeah, it's that, like that's that how it great. went. Like that, that kind <laughs> of writing, when you get those types of shows where you're you're cracking up at the writing, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. working. You just like, yeah, that's, I mean, it, you know, you hit those sweet spots and, uh, it's just so much fun. 
Did you get to do any of the old school, like I, I call it old school now, uh, well, everybody calls it old school, but did you get to do any of those old school storyboard pitches for some of these episodes? Well, the way we did it and uh, from the, you know, when I first started there was we would have an all day jam session in a, mm -hmm. in a story room with John Rice was the head uh, story supervisor. And then Jeff Myers at the time that I was there was the like co-supervised story supervisor so it was the two of them and then we'd go in there with the director and my boards after we'd worked on them for i think we had um i don't know if bill verified this when you talked with bill about how much time we had to actually do the roughs versus the cleanups it was like a week it was like a week each i think he was saying he was like i could be off by a little bit but he's like it felt <laughs> like it was a week for each thing thumbnails to boards to cleanups and revisions yeah and stuff it like was that. crazy though because we had like yeah. 14 pages of script or something and then you'd have basically a week to just sort of jam it all out into rough mm -hmm. form and it was insane amount of stuff to get cover and then uh yeah then you clean it up after but but the midpoint was this uh story meeting so we would just have them all on the table we would sort of go through them together and uh Post-it notes will be flying with Sharpie markers to sort of make adjustments. So it was a few steps away from the old, um, I believe you're referring to Disney, you know, had the cork yeah, board. the whole and, walls and shit. And a stick. And yeah, you see, you've seen Joe Ranf do it on uh, the mm -hmm. Pixar videos and stuff, which are really cool. And that's how I learned how to do it while I was still at Disney Feature. I didn't do it in any official capacity, but I trained there at Disney Feature with the intention of trying to get into there story department but things took a different direction for me um and uh yeah so we would have them all on the table and just sort of jam and you'd have to take all kinds of crazy notes and uh and then you go back and implement all those notes into your cleanups for the next uh i guess it was two weeks mm -hmm. yeah yeah i know he said it was a very very quick turnaround it was one of those things where he's like holy shit i don't know how i'm gonna get this done he was like the stress alone was was palpable uh you know all the time uh you know taking it to the streets i love this episode because of you know we talked about it before we hit record you have some of the best dale lines in here of all time the whole the whole thing with him he's like have you read you know the abrams tank manual back and forth and he's like have you hank in russian putin yeah. and that's when he goes into that one and it's just yeah. that and then when he gives you the statistical breakdown of what's in a uh sandbox he's like 30 percent of its fecal matter yeah yeah, yeah. You know, he, so. he's, uh and then he says and etc at the end yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so great and then i remember there, we were like when Bill pukes, we're going to have him run up and he's going to go hit one of those little uh, silly kid bouncy things that's on a big spring, you know, and it'll mm -hmm. it'll do this after he, after he bumps into it. So we try to we would think of all these little things, you know, that would hopefully enhance and, and get a laugh. Yeah, like I said, there, there's just so many, so many scenes in here. And and the one the one that comes to mind is is that whole sequence leading up to what you what you boarded on, you know, with Hank up there. This is Hank Hill block captain. You know, he's just like, mm -hmm. I know you guys are army doing whatever you're supposed to do. And he's opens it up and it's like, man, it smells like somebody's dead down there. And you look and it's yeah. Bill. he's like, oh, it's just Bill. You know, he's passed <laughs> out and nobody's worried about him because, you know, it's Bill doing Bill things. But yeah. the whole sequence before uh, Hank running out. 
when Dale sees it's a fucking tank, he's like, oh no, they they know that I came and I took pictures of their of their files and shit. <laughs> so he goes to the safe room, which is just a closet, ladies and gentlemen. And then he's yeah. like, Nancy, don't let him take you. And then he closes the door and then it opens back up and you see that hand grow back up. And then somehow later he's in his mercenary merchant gear crawling out from the street. You know, yeah. it's just there's so many scenes in here that are just so fantastic. Anytime he was on the screen or Cotton Hill was on the screen, those two are my favorite characters of all time. I oh, love yeah. Bobby because I felt like Bobby as a kid, man. I was that chubby, weird kid that always tried to use, you know, uh, fucking humor to get out of stuff. Um, you know, so I felt like that awkward Bobby kid. And it was just like he was the soul of the entire show. But yeah. Dill or not Dill, excuse me, Dale and Cotton, man. Anytime those guys were on the screen, absolute, you know, uh, scene stealers, show stealers, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two I other on the uh, one of the uh, one of the episodes, if you recall, where it was Hank's half brother from, uh, you know, it was a two parter when they went the Japanese, back to went to Japan, Japan. <laughs> yeah. The Hill Brothers. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to work on one of those, and yeah. uh, I think that was Anthony Leoy that was directing one of those. He's coming on and, later. Yeah, yeah, and mm. that was a lot of fun to do. Um, to do that one, but you know, you mentioned you mentioned Cotton and Hank, and that was one of the funniest kind of. Hank had this brother that was a lot like him, this you know mm -hmm. half Japanese brother that that looked like him, and. Uh, yeah, down so, to the and, narrow urethra. It was fantastic, man. He had a <laughs> he had a Japanese narrow urethra, and I actually talked about this with uh, I had Alan Jacobson on. Um, yeah, shit, probably a couple weeks ago, and you know he was talking. <clears throat> we had brought up and talked about Cotton Hill, and I was like, I, I think without him, man, I don't get into World War II the way I am. I'm an absolute World War II just buff. Like I love it. I got to see, you know, I got to go into Pearl Harbor where the you know the Arizona and, the, and yeah. you know, the ships are down there and you get to go see the memorial and that it's the, one of the most chilling and haunting things I've ever been a part of, man. You know, you're mm -hmm. literally coming into the Harbor and then your yeah. ship is literally passing by where at that time, it's like fuck 60 years ago or whatever it was, 70 years ago at that point. I can't remember. It's like 2009 and it happened in a December 7, 1941, you know, so mm -hmm. roughly, you know, 68, 69 years prior. And then, you know, you're having to hold and render salutes the entire way. There's no wake zone. You're going three knots, which is, ladies and gentlemen, three miles per hour, you know, but ship terms. So you're going very, very slow to not disturb anything because you can still see the oil and the gas coming up from the ship because they oh, yeah. never rose it, you know, mm -hmm. and just knowing that, you know, something bad had happened right so you could have been there if you were born 70 plus years ago at that point you know and you're mm -hmm. sitting there you're holding salute and i didn't i didn't realize but i started crying and i didn't understand why and I, i'm like looking around after we're dropping our salutes i'm seeing everybody else cry it was one of the most surreal experiences i've ever had in my life when i was in the military just going over where such a mass casualty happened and just the oh, yeah. epitome of what brought us into the world war ever since like i said cotton hill seeing his shins blown off he's a you know world mm -hmm. war ii he killed 50 men he killed nazis you know mm -hmm. he just ignited that love for world war ii history man um you know well, so you being in the navy i can see how that would have uh you know how that would have struck home for you to to go out there in yeah, Hawaii, right and uh mm -hmm. yeah that's an that's an impressive uh memorial for sure 
Yeah, it is, man. And getting to go there when there was a World War II survivor there. Like, we pulled into Ford Island where it happened. There's still bullet holes in the hangar bays that are there. You know, they don't they didn't do really anything as far as construction or reconstruction goes yeah. or rehabilitation, whatever, whatever word you want to use. Um, you know, but yeah, a lot of that has to do with 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 Cotton Hill. And I told Alan that, man, I was like, without that show, I don't know if I'm into World War Two the way I am. Um, you know, another another episode you had brought up. And I, like I said, I, I all three of these men, I absolutely love Joust Like a Woman. Mm -hmm. This episode, ladies and gentlemen, obviously, uh, if you don't know, uh, the what, what do they call the medieval festival, medieval fair Renaissance, you know, festival. In, Renaissance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Is in town. And Hank Hill is trying to sell lady, sweet lady propane to King Philip. King Philip, uh, you know, voiced by one of my favorite actors of all time, the late great Alan Rickman, man. Um, mm -hmm. I asked Bill Classic this question. Voice. Oh, dude. So <laughs> fantastic. And just hearing it for the first time in a long time, I'm like, oh, shit. That's Professor Snape, um, you know, and I asked Bill this question and, you know, he said, no, he didn't really get to see it. Uh, I don't know if you had a similar story, but did you get to go or witness or, you know, obviously you guys said you had audio recordings of the actors, you know, going through dialogue. But did you ever get a chance to sit in on any of those uh, recordings for any of the episodes you worked on? Yeah, one time I got to sit in on a table read mm -hmm. and I don't even remember which episode it was now because I worked on more than. Uh, I don't know, 28 episodes or something like yeah. that. But um, I got to sit in on one table read one time and that was amazing. So we went, mm -hmm. you know, to the Fox lot and we were in the back of the room and um, um, I believe it was uh, Gary McCarver was the director for the show that I was on. So I could probably figure out which show it was just based yeah. on that on my IMDb. But we sat back and Mike judge was on the phone cause he had his other place in Austin, but um, mm -hmm. all the actors were in there and that was really cool to see them, you know, do their thing. And uh, we were, you know, just sort of lined up on the back and they, they had their jam session. Everyone was laughing. And uh, I was just uh, uh, super stoked that Gary uh, invited me along to come to check it out. Cause I'd never seen that before. So that was the one and only time. Well, Sometimes that's all it takes, man. With something like that, obviously you guys are you guys are visual people, so you guys see something and then you implement it into your work. When you see another piece of the pie that is animation, so you see them working out, you know, an episode that you're possibly going to work on. Does that help you? Does that does that obviously it's going to inspire you in a specific way, I'm sure, but does that help, you know, anything with the illustrations that you're about to do with any of the drawings you're about to do? Does does some seeing something like that help? Yeah, it sure does. I mean, yeah. if you get a chance that so you're watching them, you're watching their face and their mm -hmm. gestures and their, you know, uh, reactions as they're reading their lines. And mm -hmm. um, of course, you're imagining them as that character, but whatever facial expressions they're using and however they're sort of enhancing stuff will uh, sort of, yeah, it'll sit in your head for a minute and you'll you'll start to, uh, you know, try to use that in your drawings for sure. Now this is going to sound like a really. You're listening to the audio track, oh, because you listen to it over and over again. So you're trying to paint a picture in your head of how Hank would be moving or articulating, oh, or standing, yeah, standing. Because you were acting on paper, you know, we're mm -hmm. acting with our pencils, and we're trying to uh, we're trying to sell that joke or that moment or that emotion as much as we can through through the gesture and the drawings. I mean, it's all uh, back at Disney. You know, they used to talk about how our drawings are uh, have to read in silhouette and you should technically be able to 
turn the volume down on any cartoon you watch and sort of understand the story without even hearing mm-hmm. it through just the acting poses, you know? So yeah. that, that's why they would reference a lot. Um, back at Disney again, we would talk a lot about uh, pantomime acting and Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and these uh, early silent movie actors that would sell the jokes and the gags just from the mm-hmm. way that they moved, you know, and that you want to try as much as you can when it applies this sort of pantomime, very clear read on what, what people are doing. So yes, to answer your question, it certainly helps to see these very talented actors, uh, you know, and we do, we don't usually get the luxury of being able to watch them, you know, do their thing. We just hear it. So then you have to just imagine it in your head. So to see it was an added bonus. Now with something like this might sound like a very ignorant or a very dumb question, but getting to see something like that. So you get to see, Obviously, with me, when I talk, I'm very animated. I use my hands and shit like that uh, to illustrate points. Um, when you're seeing somebody that's acting through, like, I've never seen a table read other than, like, watching it on, you know, YouTube or something like that. So you kind of, it's kind of like watching comedy live versus watching comedy at home. You kind of miss out on that experience part. Or you, you you don't get to fall so much into the group think or, you know, what's going on. It's a collective experience is what I'm getting at. So mm-hmm. when you're seeing something like that, and obviously you said you're, you know, you're putting in mannerisms or it's easier to see something instead of speculate, like what would Hank, if you're just listening, what would Hank be doing? How would he be standing if he's going through this situation? Now, mm-hmm. when you guys are at a table read, obviously this, you said this is the only one you're doing. Did it look like a courtroom, like the artists that are doing, you know, were you guys drawing and shit like that? Or were you, is, does that help or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, we all had our scripts open, you know, so we're all sitting there holding the scripts and yeah, we will take notes on the scripts as they're talking amongst themselves. And then if someone says, Oh, it might be funnier if we, you know, say it this way or that, or, uh, and obviously when they're doing the table read, they, they've got writing in mind because they're sitting mm-hmm. there with 16, let's say of the, producer co-producers it's all the writers so uh, uh to me it was a fascinating look at the writing process and how the writers would all jam and say oh well it might be funnier if we just wait a beat and then peggy comes in right here right before mm-hmm. hank says blah 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 and maybe we could change it if hank said that that because that might be a little funnier uh you know and then they would they would pitch ideas yeah They're, they've got a stenographer there writing and taking notes uh, and so, sure, yeah, I'm taking notes and I'm tr- I'm sketching and and coming up with uh, my own sort of thumbnails and on my script. But mm-hmm. it was it was an interesting thing to see that the table read was another vehicle for the writers to all sort of continually refine um, all the way up to the end. They're rewriting and rewriting and adjusting and rewriting to the bitter end, you know, to where they can't do it anymore, just to get it more more funny, make the j- low jokes land. A little tighter mm-hmm. um and i remember when i sat down at that meeting i'm a huge fan of uh single panel editorial cartoons from like new yorker mm-hmm. always have been yeah i've always admired how you can just look at one singular image and it'll have one little gag line underneath it and it can be a hilarious mm-hmm. scenario with cats or it can be a somebody at a shrink's office or you know if you're familiar yeah, with absolutely uh because they nail it and if it if if it's done right and then the new yorker oftentimes it is it's just really funny it's really witty some of them you don't get but a lot of them you do 
Um, but what I'm getting at is when I sat down at the table, I introduced myself to some writer who was next to me. I don't remember his name now. And he happened to be a, a New Yorker editorial um, comic book guy, too. Mm-hmm. And he also did writing for King of the Hill at the same time. So <laughs> I just thought that was cool. I was like, oh, my God, I love uh, New Yorker. And that's so cool that you do that and you write for this show, you know. But, yeah, yeah that's, so. that's really cool. Uh, and then last last question about this, this whole process. And then uh, then we'll we'll move on to those two questions I gave you. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that last one because. I've uh I've already taken about an hour and fifteen minutes of your time. I don't want to keep you from your family for too much longer. Um, so we'll save that last one. That last episode, ladies, is "Won't You Pee My Neighbor," where Bobby obviously becomes uh you know the reincarnation of the Buddha or the Dalai Lama, excuse me. So we'll talk about that one the next time if uh, if you want to come back on. Sure. Um, and then we'll go through some uh, some more of those episodes, and then we'll get a little bit of an origin story as well. Um, but obviously this is damn near 20 years ago so if you can't answer this one it's it's possible it's it's perfectly fine um but were there like a set of rules damn i got something in my eye was there a set of rules where they said like hey man uh hank won't do this hank will do this like there was a specific way he would stand or the specific thing he just would not do did you guys have like a set of parameters for each character says do's and don'ts for these characters Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We had a whole set of do's and don'ts for all the characters and how mm-hmm. to draw things to bear in mind as far as it related to the drawing of those characters or or just their personalities that they would never, you know. Uh, off the top of my head, I remember uh, they were like, oh, if Peggy's in a nightgown, you know, we're not going to draw it this way, not too sexy, you know, like mm-hmm. you wouldn't you'd have to sort of be conservative in some of the ways yeah. you would draw some things or there were never any high fives. I remember seeing this funny drawing from a something that was handed out amongst all of us that mm-hmm. King of the Hill people don't high five. <laughs> so high fives are uh, so fun. Yeah. Though. And then the list went on and on with stuff that they would do and they wouldn't do in King of the Hill world. And we were always no. uh, kind of going with this idea that, the show was to be modeled after um, the Roseanne show, more or less, with the, sure. uh, the the way that we would um, think about staging everything, mm-hmm. which was always kind of an interesting thing, right? So that's that's a specific kind of a way that you're going to think about how the camera is and where it lives and where it will or won't go. You know, sometimes the rules could be broken and you could do more dramatic angles and stuff um when they were appropriate but most of the time it needed to be play it play either like the roseanne show or a blend of the roseanne show and the andy griffith show Mm -hmm. yeah i I understand that i mean that that's too great i mean i was never a real big andy griffith show fan my uh my is my one of my grandpa's favorites but i'm a huge roseanne fan uh i love that show i loved what they were doing with the reboot that they did a few years back um, yeah. kind of bummed that they, you know, they got rid of her, uh, you know, understand, understandable to an extent. Um, the but, Connors uh, apparently coming back. I was just reading, they picked up another season. Dude, I've tried to get into it. And John Goodman is one of those dudes that's a goddamn mm-hmm. chameleon. You can put him in any position, any, mm-hmm. any role in anything. And that dude crushes it. One of the most terrifying roles I've ever seen. in. uh, did you ever watch that, uh, Cloverfield lane? I think is what it was. It was a, a sequel to Cloverfield. Oh no! I didn't see the sequel. You're talking about the sci-fi. Uh... Yeah, the the movie where everybody's under a bunker. Uh, go back and watch that one. John Candy is one of the most scariest. Like you see that movie and you think, 
there's something dark behind John Goodman's eyes right now. He is, he flipped yeah. a switch and it was kind of like oh, when Robin Williams out. or Robin Williams, my favorite actor of all time, when he did uh was it 24 hour photo where he just becomes that psychotic killer. Oh, and yeah. you're like, Holy sh- this is Mrs. Doubtfire. What is going on? Why is this dude terrifying? <laughs> There's just some actors that can flip a switch and do something yeah. super comedic and you love them. And then super dark where you're terrified. And those two in particular, man, they terrified the shit out of me. And those, those very suspense esque thriller roles. I've um, seen some interviews with John Goodman. Apparently like a lot of his career, he was very drunk and like drinking mm-hmm. a lot, you know, in the early days, apparently maybe I got it wrong, but I think he was, mm struggling with alcoholism in a big type of way. And then he got, you know, he stopped. He's in recovery, I believe now. And yeah. he's lost a bunch of weight and everything else, but he, well, he looks he great, man. Of, yeah. Yeah. But he says a lot of those earlier days, like earlier Roseanne stuff, he was, uh, you know, he was hammered. Hey man. Uh, I mean, that's some of the best stuff he ever did too. And I mean, look at Stephen <laughs> yeah. King, Stephen King doesn't remember. I don't think he remembers Cujo. I don't think he remembers Christine because of all the Coke. Please don't sue me. Stephen King. This is just stories I've heard. I've, I've heard people talk about it. You talk <laughs> well, about it. Like I said, it. I don't, I want, I don't know a hundred percent if I'm right on my John Goodman facts, but uh, I think I might've heard him being interviewed on uh, Howard Stern or something one time talking mm-hmm. about that. You know, yeah, It wouldn't surprise me, man. I want to say I've heard the same story too. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when, when they give you these, these guidelines for these characters, the do's and the don'ts, is it more difficult? Obviously you have a guideline of what to do and what not to do. So you can kind of stay out of trouble. They give you the playbook essentially to do right. Is it hard to make these characters more personable? Like for you, obviously you've got the set of guidelines you have to follow, but when you're trying mm-hmm. to make these characters endearing for you to get into them, is it a little bit more stiff or is it a little bit harder because of, you know, wh- how you no, look never, at it and how they look at for it? For me, I never found the guidelines to be, you know, restrictive in terms of mm-hmm. how I would approach drawing them. I, it, it was more of a, you know, just to maintain the flavor of the show and stay gotcha. consistent with the types of people that these uh, characters are supposed to be. We don't want to mm-hmm. do these various things. So, um, so, you know, it, it made sense. And then I could, uh, I, again, you know, maybe I, I gravitated towards Hank and because, um, whenever, uh, Mike judge would do the voice for him, it was always so uh, funny to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, you know, I, I, I told you, I'd love the beeps of butthead stuff. So, uh, I, I would, uh, I was able to figure out the acting and, and have fun with it and never feel too confined by, by rules, you know? When, Some of the rules now, were really helpful too. We used to serve, have a, a a PDF. Actually, it wasn't a PDF then. It would have just been a stack of eleven by fourteen yeah. co- color uh, copied papers. But Brad Bird, who had dabbled at, at King of the Hill for a while, had a uh, um, these rules, you know, do's and don'ts, and like a and Bible tips. almost. Yeah, yeah. tips because he was down on the Simpsons, and I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. when or if the transition happened when he was upstairs or downstairs or both. But I always remembered these uh, things, you know, that he would say about how to think while we're drawing them, and uh, they seem very simple. But of course, Brad Bird is, you know, Brad Bird, and he's the goat, really talented dude. And uh, these would be great little things to bear in mind. And they seem very simple and basic, but yet so many people don't really think about them, but he did. Mm -hmm. And um, those were something that I came across, uh, you know, through the years and I've always uh, held on to um, trying to bear in mind, you know, like, for example, one of them, he did a drawing of a guy doing this and he says, push the horizon down, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pushing the horizon down on our drawings always makes them much more dramatic. So 
what what do you mean by pushing the horizon down if you don't mind me asking <laughs> yeah um well so if you imagine the horizon line of the the camera view is uh is the, the point of view is always kind of eye level is going to be the horizon okay. line it's kind of hard to do without drawing it actually but it's uh it's the camera would be up high you know and like you'd see everybody mm -hmm. from like chest up or whatever if, if that was yeah. where i was shooting the camera but when you drop the camera down low in the frame and you start shooting up everybody tends to take on a much more dramatic dynamic um yeah. position Pose. in the frame mm -hmm. so we're getting into some screen graphics and cinematography type stuff but uh but it works and it's true mm -hmm. And uh, we talk about that all, all the time on The Simpsons, and I'll still find myself going, "Oh man, I could just if I just dropped it down a little more, this yeah. shot, this little this little panel I'm doing will get more dynamic," you know. And um, so that's just one of the things that I remember from you know his handout. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> He's got after a lot we. More. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And I'm pretty sure after we get off this call, you're going to think about a whole bunch of different because it always happens, man. I always yeah. get messages like, oh, dude, those three questions that I couldn't answer. I've got answers for them now. And then I've got rebuttals to all those questions. So we can uh, we can talk the next time, uh, you yeah, know, but yeah. as we start to as we start to to, to wind down, man, um, when you think of King of the Hill and obviously we'll do some more King of the Hill talk the you know, the next time we have you on. But uh, when you think of King of the Hill and your time on there. Obviously, you said, you know, it was stressful. It was fun. You know, there was deadlines that were crazy. You got to see a whole bunch of cool shit, work with some really cool characters and work with some really cool people. If you could sum up, you, you know, your time on King of the Hill in one word, one phrase, one sentence, man, fuck even one paragraph. What would your time and what would that what would that saying or that sentence encapsulate for your time on King of the Hill? <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, some deep shit, man. Some Freudian stuff over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was my first it was my first real go at storyboarding. So it was um it was a career defining show for me to be sure mm -hmm. because it was one of the shows that I'd worked I think still to this day it was the show that I'd worked the longest on and done the most episodes on. So um I honed my craft at King of the Hill and it was uh it was a career defining uh, uh, show for the direction that, you know, my animation path went after that for sure. And uh, we can skip over this one or we can just not even acknowledge it. Are you going to be doing anything on the revival? I won't ask anything past that one. Have you, have you gotten a chance <laughs> to. Well, you know, between hiatus uh, here at the Simpsons, um, I had uh, I wasn't certain that I was going to get picked up for another season on The Simpsons. So I was looking mm -hmm. over there because that was about the time that things were happening. But I ended up getting picked up on The Simpsons before I uh, was able to firm up anything on yeah. um, King of the Hill. But, you know, when we get uh, caught up in those hiatuses and those between periods uh, now, which is the it's a gig to gig deal now, it's on it's mm -hmm. uh, on us. It's on, incumbent upon us to be our own advocates and hustle for that next gig. So we start to put out all the feelers fishing lines that we can, and we try to network and use that LinkedIn that I was telling you about and just start putting the word out, you know? So that was definitely on my radar and it, I thought it would have been a lot of fun and super cool, but I got this. So I was super grateful that, uh, you know, given again, what the environment is that I was, uh, I, I was able to get picked back up for another season here. Season well, 35. 
of the it's census. It's so insane. Unbelievable. It's older than me. Like we were born the same year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's just insane. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember seeing it on the Tracy Ullman show back when in the eighties. So yeah, crazy. But I know that's a different topic for another day. Oh yeah, hundred percent, man. Uh, I, hopefully, if you get the chance to go back on the show, man, and if you're up for it, I'd love to see you back. I'd love to see the name back in the titles or the credits. Excuse me. Oh, thanks, uh, man. Yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of fun. Maybe we can revisit tanking it to the streets, uh, part two. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, as as like I said, uh, those two questions that I'd asked you, I pre-gamed you before, man. So you get four. It's a Mount Rushmore question. You get four okay. people that have influenced you in your career. Uh, doesn't mm-hmm. have to be animators. It could be anybody out there. It could be your wife. It could be your kids. You know, it could be fuck Albert Einstein if you really wanted to. You get mm-hmm. four of those people plus one honorable mention. Man, who's on Whitney's Mount Rushmore? Four people plus an honorable. Yeah, four people. Yeah, it'll change the next time we talk. I'm sure because, like I said, it always happens. Like shit, I forgot Tex Avery, or shit, I forgot this guy. <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, well, not in any particular order. There's my dear friend John Mahoney who. Um, mm-hmm has uh, been a huge influence for me in my career. Uh, I got to know him at Disney. Um, we both did the internship at different times, met one another there, and he uh, he was a giant and still is a, a great friend and a big influence on many things that, uh, and directions that my career took. Of course, my wife, uh, I can't go without saying um, all the things that my wife has supported me through all the years, crazy shit that i've done becoming a firefighter at 40 you know going back to graduate school at 50 uh, and she believes in me she believes in me all the way she's like yes you can go back to la you can make this happen you can do this and so that's good man that's necessary we've been together for over 30 years um congratulations thank you and then uh, uh, Barbara Bradley, who was an illustration uh, teacher at the Academy of Art. She was a huge mm-hmm. influence on my trajectory. She really helped me um, understand and appreciate the uh, importance of being able to um, draw uh, in a traditional, you know, uh, I guess you could say scholarly type of way, you know, uh, mm-hmm. through just endless hours of life drawing and, and anatomy studies and clothes figure stuff. Uh, then there's Walt Stanchfield, whom I got to know. Um, I'm so honored I got to know him. I have a couple of pieces of his art here from some of the shows that he had at uh, at Disney when I was there. They used to call him the second Walt. I don't know if any of these other people you've talked to on your shows have mentioned Walt Stanchfield. No, they haven't. No, he they was haven't. the other Walt at Walt Disney, and he used to teach life drawing classes. When I met him there, uh, he was dying from prostate cancer. He mm-hmm. was already uh, 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 he was already getting on in years, and he was sick. And um, but he was full of life and energy and enthusiasm and vitality. I believe he was a Navy guy too. Um, yeah. And he uh, would hold these incredible draw- life drawing sessions at Disney and. Um, Man, what a what an incredible what an incredible guy! And then he's got a couple of awesome books that are going to be on my book list, yeah, uh, as well. But he he was all about uh, gesture drawing and how to how to put acting into your drawing. So he would he would make it different when we would go into a life drawing class and the models like you know striking a pose. He's like, okay, well they're striking a pose. Are you a human 
are you a human like camera a xerox machine you're just going to draw it like it looks or mm -hmm. what's the intention behind it all what what is the action what is this person thinking about and then how do we how do we push this drawing to make it you know act more in that mm -hmm. way which is goes back to what i was saying earlier where we tried to act with our drawings in, in storyboards yeah. so what do i have one more yep you get an honorable mention honorable mention uh david Royball is a uh dear friend of mine from new mexico retired firefighter vietnam vet um dear friend of mine that helped me get into the fire service and um is old school northern new mexico for generations and um uh teaches me lots about life and mm -hmm. just uh it's kind of hard to actually encapsulate but yeah just a kind of a person that makes you <clears throat> take the shirt off your back for anybody you know always has a good joke no matter how hard mm -hmm. things are um yeah always lifts your spirits has seen all kinds of real life and some bad stuff in his life but always positive and um inspiring and you know lifts you up that's a great list. That's a great Mount Rushmore and honorable <laughs> mention, man. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Uh, so that next one. That was a cool question. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, the, the next one is those two book recommendations. Any fan of animation or anybody in animation should have on their shelves. What two books are you throwing out there? Yeah. Um, the Noble Approach by Maurice Noble yeah. is uh, a production design book. Have you heard mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two episodes or so ago, somebody threw that one out for the first time. And I believe I've either got it coming or it's in my cart to buy. They said that's yeah. the next one I had to read. So, yeah, yeah. And then um, and then I'll, there's two books, but they're in the same series called Drawn to Life by Walt Stanchfield. Mm -hmm. the guy I was just talking about. Yeah. And both of those books are uh, a must have for any aspiring uh, animation student or somebody that just likes to draw. Absolutely. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, go pick those ones up. All right. So <clears throat> these next ones uh, are fun. Uh, and then whatever comes to your mind first off, <laughs> that's what we'll yeah. do. Uh, so you have, uh, a buddy cop show is getting spun out of King of the Hill. So you get to pick two people. Who's a good cop. Who's a bad cop. What two characters from King of the Hill do you want to see in a buddy cop show? In a buddy cop show? Mm -hmm. um, Hank and Boomhauer. Man, who's good cop? Who's bad cop? <laughs> well, Hank's the good cop, of course. You sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's always on the on the straight and level, right? He's uh, the Boy Scout for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, the next one, uh, you get to be a fly on the wall. For the creation of any cartoon character or any character throughout animation through the history. So from Gertie to whatever is going to be made, you know, in 2023, what would you love to see the initial inception of? What would you love to see created if you could? Oh, man. Well, let's see. To be a fly on the wall, the initial conception of any cartoon character that's ever existed. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd have to say I would love to have been on the walls of the Termite Terrace back when Chuck Jones was rocking and rolling. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, maybe when he was doing, uh, <laughs> I mean, I know that Bugs Bunny did not start out with, uh, Chuck Jones. It was early. He was already around a lot of these characters are around and then Chuck Jones went and ran with them. But one of Chuck mm -hmm. Jones originals would have been, uh, Mark Anthony, the bulldog, you know, with the little kitty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that would have been fun to, you know, see how he thought about coming up with that because it was such an expressive bulldog. His his book, Chuckamuck, is so fascinating. Uh, just <laughs> getting to see, like, just how he saw a character. Like, I know he gets a lot of flack. Like, I've always been a Bob Clampett guy uh, when oh, yeah. it comes to the Warner Brothers directors. And I like I love all of them. So don't get me wrong. But it was just something about, you know, Bob Clampett's work. I think it was probably just Daffy. I, I loved Daffy. Um, mm -hmm. Him, I, and even though the McKimsons did uh, Foghorn, it's just the, like those two are my favorite when it comes to the Looney Tunes. And then mm -hmm. you got Wile E. Coyote and then, you know, Yosemite Sam in there. But just seeing Chuck work through the character development of, you know, a character, just seeing how he saw it. And the fact that everything had like, like you were talking about with the King of the Hill, like everybody had guidelines, everybody had rules, the do's and don'ts, <clears throat> knowing that that was into the psychology of a lot of these characters that he got to play with, getting to see his mind both warped and non-warped for some of these characters was just really fascinating peek behind the curtain when it came to it. Um, oh yeah. So that'd be an interesting one to see too, man. Uh, so the, the next one uh, is if you could have lent your talents to any show or movie throughout animation, mm -hmm. what would you have loved to had your name attached to? It could be a Bambi. It could be, you know, fucking something as quickly or as, you know, recent <laughs> as Pinocchio for yeah. GDT, man. What show would you have loved to, to work on? Oh, I probably would like to have been around on the original uh, Toy Story when that first mm -hmm. hit the scenes, you know? Yeah. Way back uh, when people were wondering if this computer stuff was still was even going to work. But um, I love the storytelling for all, all those Toy Story movies. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, in particular, the first three. So, I, uh, yeah. To have been a part of one of those would have been amazing to be at Pixar during those early, you know, those early days when they started to hit them out of the park. Absolutely. My young, uh, my my middle kid is stuck on the first Toy Story. He loves Buzz and Woody right now. So mm -hmm. we've watched it twice a day for the last two and a half weeks, man. It's And that third one is incredible. I mean, that one hit home when my boys were about the age to get ready to go off to school and everything and leave the house. And we're thinking about being empty nesters and to Did it uh, make you cry? Because it made me cry. Oh, that third yeah. one hits you in the feels real yeah, hard. I'll admit it. Sure. Yeah. It definitely yeah. tugged on the heartstrings. But that's some great writing. That's some just great storytelling that was going on there. Absolutely, man. They're masters of their crafts over there at <laughs> Pixar. Um, we got two more here, man. Uh, so you get to, this is kind of like a play on the Mount Rushmore, but I think it's a little bit more fun. Uh, and we get to implement a little bit of a cooking thing here. So you get a, uh, you get a dinner party you're cooking, right? You got to cook yeah. a dish and you get to invite five people. So five people plus you throughout history of animation that you would love to sit down, share a meal with and talk animation. Ooh. Who are you bringing to your, to your dinner party and what are you cooking for these gentlemen? And Bonus question, what is going to be the topic you're going to ask them? So what are you going to ask these guys or gals? Wow. And a meal for all of them? Yeah. And you don't have to cook if you don't want to cook, man. People have ordered pizza. People have ordered Chinese. Uh, we've, I think, uh, one of the sub places have come up in one of these chats at least once. So uh, what are the five people? What are you eating? And what are you guys talking about? Huh. Wow. Okay. 
Well, what are we talking about? What are we eating and who are we inviting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, right off the bat, I'm saying Tex Avery, uh, Walt Disney. I got Chuck Jones. I got Mary Blair. Ooh, that's the first one. I like her a lot. Her colors. <laughs> God damn. You got yeah. one more. Yeah. I wish more people talked about her. Her book, phenomenal. I love oh, the story behind God. hers. Yeah. Yeah. Her yeah. color sensibility is second to none, in my opinion. Oh, my God. Yeah. Here's another one for you. Um, I, I believe Alice and Martin Provenson actually worked at Disney. Uh the name sounds so familiar. That's a husband-wife team, but they used to have these incredible golden book uh, illustrators, you know, that back, you know, way mm -hmm. back in the day at Disney that would come on board mm -hmm. and um, contribute to the look and feel of these movies. Uh, oh, well, let's say uh, Ivan Earl then. Okay. You know, then, have you uh, heard of him? I don't. I'm writing that one down. <laughs> That's what I like yeah. about these questions because you guys throw names out there that I don't know. And then I get to go research them and I get to buy more books on animation. And I get to blame you guys when my wife goes, <laughs> why are you ordering another one? I was like, well, Whitney said I need to know more about this person. So it's his fault. Yeah. Don't blame me. Blame him. I'm Ivan Earl is the most incredible, beautiful uh, sort of graphic um, background painting and visual development uh, mm -hmm. that he did for uh, Sleeping Beauty and... Um, I want to say he might have had something to do with the uh oh i don't know we're right off the top of my head but uh but what am i going to order them for dinner mm -hmm. hmm. well <laughs> i don't know let's get some uh let's go ahead and get some um uh let's do some chinese food i think that'd be fun for the whole gang you know and then what's the uh dude, i love some good chinese food man uh, and <laughs> what is what is the topic of discussion man what are you gonna ask these ladies and gentlemen wow we have such a huge uh you know bedrocks of of animation what are we gonna talk about mm -hmm. let's see what does eatable I would have to ask each one of them when they're all so huge. I would say, well, what, what would each, if, if I, you're going to honor me by having dinner and eating Chinese food at my table, all of you incredible artists, what would you say to, uh, uh, you know, a young artist like myself? <laughs> Cause they're all much older than me. Um, what would you say the one one words, you know, one sentence, words of wisdom would you have for a, a young aspiring artist that wants to, you know, work in this business? That's what I would ask them. That's a good that's a good starting topic right there, man. Well, like I said, <laughs> uh, Whitney, this has been a, a real blast, man. I I, I can't Thank wait you. to do this again. Um, like I told you in, in, in the beginning and before we hit record and then the message through Instagram and shit like that, you know, without this show. I don't know what I'm into. You know, this show hit me at such a crucial time in my life. You guys really did something here. You guys made, like I said, you made these characters feel like they were my next door neighbors. You know, I was a, I was a trying to be a good person because of a show called Hey Arnold as a kid. And then when I start hitting that adolescence thing, and I'm starting to go through all of these same stories you guys are tackling, not to like the same extravagance or the same, 
you know, blown out of proportion with these characters, you know, Dale doing this crazy shit. I didn't have a conspiracy theory guy until I got older and my uncle started acting really crazy around the holidays. Everybody's got those stories. You know, I got to really work through some of the shit I was going through as that teenager because I got to see it on the TV. I got to see it from a show that, you know, did not talk down. It was very smart. I don't give a fuck what my mom said. The Simpsons, Beavis and Butthead. People think like King of the Hill, they think that it's it's something. They think it's not a smart show. But when you peel back those layers and you look at not only did they have some of the most talented writers of all time, Ivy League school writers, right? I, I tell my mom that all the time when she brings up The Simpsons. I was like, no, this is a very smart show. People from Harvard, people from Yale, all these schools that I told you I'd never get into. These people, they're very smart. They write on the <laughs> show. So it's a very intelligent show. You know, but it was it was the talented writers. It was the amazing artists. It was like the amazing voice cast. You guys all came together collectively and you did something so special. And like I said, I took the show with me when I deployed. You guys gave me a piece of home whenever I needed it, whenever I needed to laugh. And I didn't think I could laugh because I was missing my wife and kids and I was missing my country. I got that laugh from King of the Hill, man. So, like I said, I'm forever grateful for you and everybody else has worked on this perfect show. So thank you for what you do. Oh, well, thank you, man. That's a, what a, what a nice thing to say. And, uh, you know, it's an honor to think that we played a part in uh, something that made you feel connected to home while you were out there mm. serving your country honorably. So, yeah. And uh, thank you so much, you know, for for being interested. And a lot of times we sit in our vacuums and we don't really hear from too many folks about what they think <laughs> one way or the other about what we're doing while we're working so hard. So it's nice to hear you articulating that, you know, what it meant to you. Thank you. Well, that's why I do this podcast, man, to get folks like you to come on here and tell your stories because so often we hear from the Mike judges, the Greg Daniels, we don't get to hear from the Whitney's, the Allen's, the Sean Cashman's, you know, anybody else that I'm going to have on. So that's like I said, that's why I do this podcast because animation is so collaborative. It takes a village to raise a child. It also takes an entire village to raise something like King of the Hill. It's not just one person. It's thousands of people that have touched this, left their own impressions on the show and our own impressions on us, man. So like I said, love the show. I can't wait to see it come back. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't watched King of the Hill in a while, go back and watch it 20 years, 15 years, 30 years down the road, 60 years, hell, fuck, 100 years down the road, this show is still going to hold up. Um, <laughs> where can the folks come and find you if you want the folks to come and find you on social media and say, hey, I love what you do, man. Are you on social media at all? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I am wbmartinart.com. Uh, That's my website. You can find all my information there, my my uh, email, my contacts, Instagram, et cetera, Facebook. It's all on that um, website. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for, you know, uh, allowing me to put that out there, too. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And all the links that you want in there, just let me know. And we'll put them in the description of the video. So ladies and gentlemen, you could literally go scroll down, click on the link and you go straight to Whitney's website, his Instagram, his Facebook and whatever else he wants us to put in there, man. Well, like I said, he's been Whitney. I've been Julian. It's been a What's My Head podcast. And this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. <laughs>